I should have been prepared for the emotion that I would feel. Um, coming back into this beautiful sanctuary, opening hymnals, um, singing with you, hearing our choir, overwhelmed by this floral arrangement. I left my handkerchief in the office. Um, it is so good to be back together and with hymnals and Bibles and the Ainsworth Choir and to, uh, to have a sense uh, of church. Bonnie and I returned um, eight years ago when I retired to Macon for two reasons. Uh, one was the, and most important, the imminent birth of our first grandson was to happen in just a few weeks. But the second week we returned was because of you. You, uh, we spent 12 years with you, and you loved us and wrapped your arms around us from day one. And we love you, and we know you, and we know who you are, and we know who we are, and, and who we, church, can be. And some of you have reordered your lives as well because of the transformative power of God through this church. And I just invite you to remember today why it is that you're here and who it was that loved you into this church. To serve with Tommy and Marcus, man, this is going to be fun. We've already rescued each other three times this morning. Tommy and Marcus are leaders uh, uh, who are respected across this annual conference. Um, to, uh, we have been friends for decades, but never have had the chance to serve together. This is, this is going to be so much fun. And if we contradict each other from time to time in the pulpit, well, I guess that's all right, too. Um, but this is just a, this is going to be a, a joyful and and interesting adventure. Allow me to take a moment to dispel a notion that I have heard expressed on more than one occasion in this church. And when it is expressed to me, people will lower their voices and wring their hands and use tones that are usually reserved for a hospice wing. Preacher, I, th I think our church is near death. Preacher, I, I, th I don't think we're going to make it much longer. Well, let me tell you, I've been in ministry 36 years, and I think I know what an ecclesiastical death rattle sounds like, and you don't have it. You are not anywhere near death. I'm saying that to those of you who are afraid it's time to pull the plug. There is so much life here. We've had some tough years together. It may have started 26 years ago when I was appointed. <laughs> but the heart of the gospel is beaten real strongly here. 
and I'm glad to be a part of it with Tommy and Marcus and you. Let me ex uh, address a second notion in a little more detail. Uh, did, did you, it may not have occurred to you that preachers sometimes when they get together, they talk about churches. Did you know that? <laughs> well, it's true. We, and, and if you think about it a little bit, uh, that shouldn't surprise you because lay people, when you get together, you talk about preachers. <laughs> fair is fair. You talk about us, we talk about you. Well, what I've, what I've heard from other preachers, uh, particularly over the last few years is, Mulberry is a really hard place to serve. It always pains me to hear some other preacher say that. It baffles me. It angers me. I have argued with preachers about it. I've gotten defensive. They're talking about us. But lately, I've sort of been thinking about this in a different way, and I think if I hear it again, I'm going to have this response. Well, what church isn't hard? Every church is a hard church to serve. There is no such thing as an easy church. That's what I'd like to tell them. What exactly would an easy church look like? I mean, it'd get pretty boring to be standing around singing, blessed be the tie that binds week after week after week. I've never served an easy church, never. I wouldn't want to serve an easy church. I wouldn't have the nerve to ask a bishop, would you please send me to an easy church? Would you want a preacher who asked for an easy church? I don't think so. I, I take it back. I have served one easy church. It was Shiloh United Methodist Church, Shiloh, Georgia, up in the upper reaches of Harris County, just across the uh, Pine Mountain from Roosevelt's little White House. Shiloh United Methodist on a good Sunday had 10 people. They were most of them related to each other. There was no Sunday school, there was no administrative board, there were no meetings, there was no pledge campaign, there was no strife. The church uh, had this character uh, of an impenetrable shroud of apathy. One Sunday, I arrived at the church. They met at six in the evening. I was the only one who came. Nobody was there. They hadn't told me in seminary what to do when nobody came to church at the appointed hour. I decided that congregation or not, I was preaching the gospel. I sang one hymn out of the hymnal, out loud, read the scripture, and preached the gospel. It was going to be preached there with or without people. That was an easy church to serve. It died 30 years ago. So yeah, I, Mulberry is, uh, is hard. 
You demand excellence. Well, what's wrong with that? You expect preachers who will work hard. Uh, you expect team players. You expect a staff that will be sacrificial and untiring. Your standards are high. There is no easy button around here. I've been on the receiving end of your high expectations, your passion for the gospel, and your hunger to serve, and I'm a better preacher because of it. So the Apostle Paul, he wants to visit Corinth. He, he just can't wait to get to Corinth, but he's in Ephesus. And in the letter we heard today, Paul is saying to them, I, I, I want to come see you, but I can't leave Ephesus yet. Ephesus was a world-class city, uh, perhaps the third major city in the known world, an amphitheater that held 25,000 people. It's still there. Elton John sang in it a few years ago. And so Paul says to the Corinthians, I want to come see you, but the opportunities here are just too large right now. And I love chapter 16, verse 9, where Paul says, uh, the doors uh, have opened wide for effective service, and there are many adversaries. I love that connection between wide open doors and many adversaries. They both go together. When doors are wide open, the wider open the doors are, the more possibilities there are that things are going to be a little bit hard and, and the uh, adversaries are going to be a little bit more present. Notice that Paul uses the passive voice. Paul doesn't say, I opened the doors wide. He says, the doors have been wide opened. You and I know who it was that opened the doors and is continuing to do that. Uh, God is the one who flings doors open all the time. Think of all the doors if you want to take that literally in this church. I see those back ones are shut right now. Uh, God is in the business of flinging doors open, and, and that's where ministry happens and how it happens. And, and who knows how that's going to happen in this church and what's going to happen next. I, I saw some old plans, um, architectural renderings, renderings uh, back in the conference room. They got cobwebs on them, but they weren't drawn all that many years ago about what's going to happen to that vacant lot over there that we tore down a few years ago. Who knows? I, I certainly don't. How God is going to fling doors open. But I know that that's what God does, and that in this city that has so many needs, in this society uh, that so much needs to hear the gospel, God is flinging doors open. But when doors are flung open, there come adversaries. Ephesus was addicted to the goddess Artemis. Every year, they had an annual Artemis Cherry Blossom Festival. Okay, the cherry blossom I made up, 
But they did have an annual festival every year to Artemis. Um, and people came from everywhere. It was a big money maker, kind of like our Cherry Blossom Festival. So when Paul begins preaching the gospel, he begins um, attacking, uh, because you sort of can't help it, uh, the, the myth of that city. I'll tell you, when you preach the gospel and you start living the gospel, and, and you start getting involved in culture, when you start attacking the sacred myths of any culture, you're going to get some adversaries. And you can think about what sacred myths you want to think about that we've got in this city or in our country right now, but when we live the gospel and preach it and are true to it and uh, hope for the kingdom of God and, and have this sense of holy boldness, uh, the adversaries will come. One day they couldn't take it anymore in Ephesus. They'd reached the boiling point. Acts 19 says that they grabbed Paul's friends and they took them to the uh, 25,000 uh, standing room only member uh, uh, amphitheater and nobody was singing Crocodile Rock that day. They were furious because Paul had been attacking Artemis. I can see all 25,000 of them right now. They've probably got on the same colored Artemis t-shirts. And they're all, the Acts 19 says they were mad as can be and half of them didn't even know why they were there. But here's what they were doing. When they got in there, they had this cheer. It went on for two hours. And I think it went like this. These are the words that were used, but of course, when you read it in the Bible, you don't know how they, this is what they were cheering. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Two hours. Great is Artemis. Just mindless yelling. I've got a feeling they had a cheerleader. And he was having one half say, great is Artemis. The other side is answering back, of the Ephesians. They wanted to tear Paul and his friends limb from limb because they were preaching the gospel and living the gospel, and the gospel didn't include some uh, uh, idol named Artemis. I'm not looking for adversaries. I would just as soon avoid them. But I have no interest in serving a church where the doors are just barely open. I, I don't want that kind of ministry. I'm interested in a church where the doors, where, where we allow God, fling the doors wide open and let the adversaries come as we together live out what it means to be faithful members of the kingdom. I, I, I finish quickly. You can decide whether it's quickly. Um, with just a word uh, about the gospel. Uh, most of us know the verse, the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Okay, that's a fun little trivia question. I think it would be equally important for us to know these two words. Jesus slept. 
That's Mark 4, verses 31 through 35. I think it is the only time in the gospel that we have a story where Jesus is asleep. And he is asleep in this raging storm, trusting his heavenly Father. The disciples are bailing with their little buckets. Uh, the disciples are wondering if uh, this is the last time uh, they're going to go down. But Jesus is sound asleep. I love it. I, I, that is so powerful. And, and we could focus on how he calmed the storm. That's really neat. But I think it's just as cool to think that he's just staying asleep during this storm. He's trusting that God is going to care for him and the boat and everyone else. And as long as he knows he's resting in God's arms, he can sleep right on through it. So I want to suggest that the good ship Mulberry has weathered more than a few storms itself lately. And to remind us that the Lord of all creation, Jesus himself, has been with us in all of that. And maybe we've been running around anxious and wondering why bad things happen to good churches and so on and so forth. Forget all that. The Lord of all creation is with us. And it is good to know that Jesus slept and entrusted himself to God. So take a deep breath. The Lord of all creation is with us. O oh God, fling open the doors. Bring on the adversaries. We do not cross this storm-tossed lake alone. Amen.